video this evening. So. That's all right. Okay. All right. Starting in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. You know, these people had heard. He Now, you were, it starts out talking about a, Apollos. Remember, he came to Corinth. He was a man of, of eloquence, and he came there to Corinth, and he was teaching the people at, at Corinth in Paul's absence. As Paul moved on, he went over to Ephesus. Now, I'm going to show you on the map here. Uh, Corinth is over in here. There's there's Corinth right there. And and Paul came across. He went through this upper coast and down here into Ephesus. And I don't see Ephesus there. Oh, there it is. Right there. Right there is Ephesus. So Apollos was over here and Paul was over here. It's across the Aegean Sea there. And so this is talking about this time while Paul was absent from Corinth, Apollos was teaching there. And he was a man well-versed in the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture, by the way, not the New Testament. There wasn't a New Testament at that time. We didn't have these letters and the the account of Acts here. But he was, the Apostle Paul went on to Ephesus and he found these certain disciples that didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They, they had John's baptism and they were believers. And he asked, well, what, what were you baptized to? He said, John's baptism. That is a baptism of repentance. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ, on Jesus, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. So there were about 12 men. I don't know whether they were family men. I would assume that they were, that they had families. And, but these 12 men received the Holy Ghost. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things that concern the kingdom of God. So Paul went into the synagogue again. You know, he had a 
rough reception in synagogues in various cities. But here he went into the synagogue in Ephesus, and he was he preached there boldly, and he persuaded he he persuaded them out of the Old Testament scriptures for three months, and people came and. I'm sure it was not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, both there in the synagogue, persuading the things that were concerning the kingdom of God. This is an interesting term, the kingdom of God. And I think that it is one that is not emphasized near enough. God's kingdom is a a coming kingdom. It's to be present in our own hearts now. We are to be citizens of that kingdom, not of this world, not of our nation. Certainly we have American citizenship and and I'm glad I do. The Apostle Paul had Roman citizenship and he used it to God's honor and glory. And we should be doing the same thing. But... I think of all the people around the world who do not have the blessings that we have here. And and yet, we have a greater blessing to look forward to because we get to be part of God's kingdom where he is the ruler in ruling in righteousness. And, and I look forward to that day. It's going to be a whole different world than what we see now. But anyway, the Apostle Paul was there, and he preached boldly. He, he wasn't afraid. He preached freely and fearlessly the kingdom of God to these people there at Ephesus. I'd love to have heard him preach. <laughs> that would have been a wonderful thing. Verse 9, But when divers were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So he preached there in the synagogue for freely for three months. But then there were certain people that started getting upset with Paul. And they were speaking evil of that way, that way is Christianity. That is the way. And so Paul says, okay, let's let's move to a different venue here. We're going to, and they went to the school of Tyrannus. I have no idea who Tyrannus was. He, he had a, a school, a place to meet, a place to discuss, and they moved Basically, the the church there at Ephesus moved and their meeting became this school of Tyrannus where they could could discuss the scriptures freely. Um, There's a note in my, just in the bottom here that says that Tyrannus' name has been found in in the area of Yes. His name dating to that time, as Tyrannus, has been found. It just, it just seems like he was a 
prominent teacher, you know, Greek teacher in the area. Okay. Evidently, he had a pl- place to meet, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know where it was or what it was. Maybe they had a an amphitheater there. Oftentimes, a school included a, an amphitheater where one could sit, not up on a dais like this, but where the seats were arranged up so people could look down on the person who was speaking and hear him better. And that was, they had these all over the the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire built these and they had schools there. They had uh, court. They held court session in these amphitheaters. Specific ones were for the government and others were for teachers of various kinds. But uh, I would guess this school of Tyrannus was in a place where they could hear one another and they could sit and discuss the the scriptures. But they separated from the the Jewish people. I'm sure that there were Jews there at Ephesus that came with them. The, the believing Jews came with them. The others stayed back at the synagogue. Okay. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. This, just just a moment, Andy, and I'll be with you there. Uh, so this was for two years that they studied here in this school of Tyrannus. And it was a well-known school, evidently, and people from all over the province of Asia came there and they heard and the, the word was disseminated from that point all throughout Asia. People heard and they listened and paid attention to those that were meeting there and they met there for two years. We don't often think, we read through the Bible and we read through a chapter and say, okay, but it's all that time, that timeline is there and here he was three months in the synagogue and then another two years here in the school of Tyrannus and the word of the Lord was radiated from that point and people heard all throughout that throughout the region of Asia Asia we think of Asia as being a big area but it was a small area this, this is Asia right here. And that included Ephesus here. But this is Asia. Here's Galatia and Cappadocia, Pontius, Bithynia. These are uh, Roman provinces. It, everyone there was under the, the Romans. And the, those provinces, Asia was just one Province. It was a rather large province, but it was one of just one of m- many. Okay. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them. 
and the evil spirits went out of them. This is an interesting thing to me. I, I don't see this in other places. Oh, I'm sorry, Andy. I, I need to get back with you. Let, let, let me drop back here. No. Because there was a real king, and it was the kingdom of Israel. And so when you shift over now that Jesus has come and died, okay, there's a kingdom that didn't exist before. It's a new kingdom, and it's a spiritual kingdom. And that's why Jesus said, my followers, you know, if it was a physical kingdom, my followers would fight for me. He said, but it's not. Yes. And the coming of the Holy Spirit was, Jesus said, I have to go away in order for that Holy Spirit to come. Yes. Or even when they were baptized. It was right afterwards when Paul laid hands on them. It, it was a transfer of power. Yes. Okay. Brother Tyler? kingdom yes um, the, the concept of the kingdom of God was that Abraham kept seeking for this kingdom that, that the Lord told him that he would establish yes but he didn't find it on this earth because it wasn't going to be on this earth right um, of course they had the promised land where talks about the manifestation which become known you know of the kingdom of God so you know if you 
look at that look at that particular passage and over in Hebrews too, it, it kind of cooperates that statement that there was there wasn't much mention of a of a kingdom being established uh, until this point because there wasn't a need a need to to explicitly mention that. Yes. Until there. I think it's interesting that even Jesus preached this type of thing. When he was there, the woman at the well, he said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Both, You've got two things going here. Your spirit has to be aligned with him. And your actions will show it. Um, it's that that Peter said the uh, faith without works is dead you know and this is the same thing you need both it's not just your commitment but your actions will show your commitment it, it, they, it works together it's, it's, it's how we worship God it's by our lives by not just commitment saying okay it's and but the commitment has to be there first the faith has to be there the reliance on god but your actions will speak even louder than your words or your and we need to be aware of that in our own lives so that our our lives do not bring the church down do not bring the kingdom of god into question all right well let's let's move on here and uh, you know Paul sent out these handkerchiefs or aprons or whatever to the sick people rather than having to go personally himself he put a blessing on these handkerchiefs and sent them to the people who were sick or or even those that had um, had evil spirits and the evil spirit departed from them uh, here in verse 13 there's an interesting thing that starts here <coughs> and it says then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. So they were saying, Well, if if Paul can do it, we can too. Big mistake. Let's let's read on. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew and chief of the priests which did so so this man Siva was a he was a chief of the priests he was the head priest in that region of Ephesus and he had these seven sons who were exorcists they they tried to drive out demons and the evil spirit answered and said Jesus I know and Paul I know but who are ye who are, who are you to be calling the name of Jesus down upon on me as, as an evil spirit? He says, I know Paul, I know, and I know Jesus, 
but I don't know who you are. And and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them. He overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So that evil spirit says, I'm not going to take this from you. I'm, I don't have to listen to you. You have no power over me. And he beat them up, all seven of them. And they fled out of the house naked and beat up and bleeding probably. It says I'm wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on, on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You know, this; these people were trying to do something to imitate the Spirit of God. And the evil spirit had no... He said, I, I don't have to listen to you. And he beat these people up. But this, the story of this spread all throughout the region. And these people said, wow... This, this is important that the, we listen to the Spirit of God. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So this did one thing. It helped to spread the Word of God all throughout the area. Everybody heard this story. They, you know, this was big news. They, they didn't have newscasts like we do. But the Word was spread by word of mouth and this type of thing traveled by word of mouth quickly and it spoke of the glory of God and God's power and rather than the power of men and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds these were people who believed whether they became Christians or not they said they came and they confessed and showed their deeds the evil deeds that they had been doing uh, whether they were into sorcery or, or idol worship or whatever it might have been they came and they confessed and they showed these things openly many, many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. $50,000 is a good sized chunk of change, but pieces of silver back then, money was worth a lot more than it is today. This was a, a big pile of books. They were considered to be valuable back then all all these curious arts i'm i'm sure this was witchcraft and and sorcery and all this kind of thing and they said we don't want anything to do with this these that believed said the power is that of god jesus name is was magnified all of this stuff was considered to be junk trash burn it get rid of it it's worse than trash it needs to be gotten rid of. So, doesn't it just take, doesn't it just take 
because of this, I mean, the demons told them, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you, you know? <laughs> you know, and I think that, that if that happened to us, let's just put the fear of God in anyone, you know. Absolutely. Like, you know this man. And they, like I said, they didn't seem to believe that. They just said this Jesus whom Paul preaches. Right, well, they, so, I said... They were, like it works for them, but it shouldn't truly work for right. us. Right, it's the same name, right? Right. But the demon says, "Who are you? <laughs> you have no. You're not. You're not involved with God. You're not involved with Jesus. You don't have that power." Paul preached with power. He he did miracles in in the name of Jesus. God did the miracles. Paul just directed. That those, and those so mighty works happened after after Paul was stricken out on the road to Damascus through him because he what he believed yes he believed, he believed in Jesus and then was baptized and he went on proclaiming these things after that he had the power of the Spirit given to him yes to demonstrate those things absolutely which is beautiful yes Andy. His life. Drastically opposite to what it had been before. Yes. Because he had met the Lord. Now, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians today. And some of them do things like cast out demons and speak in tongues and do other things. But that's not what makes you a Christian. No. What makes you a Christian is when you personally know God, when you've met him, when he lives in your heart and dictates what you do and, and what you He changes your life. It changes who you are. Yes. Satan knows the scripture too and trembles. I was going to say, yeah. Abs- yeah. It, you know, knowing. But let's move on because we're running out of time here. Um, verse 21. Well, verse 20. So mighty, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. The word of God had power. This is the difference. That word prevailed. 
the hearts of men were moved by the power of the Spirit of God. And it spread throughout that whole region. These people believed in their hearts. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent unto Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. It, this is for a, for a while. He stayed back and sent them on ahead to, to prepare the way into Macedonia. And so this is back over more towards Greece again, north and to the, let's see, it would be to the west from, from Ephesus. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. Now, this way, was, everybody heard this, heard about that new way. It, it was, that's what Christians were called. They were followers of that way. I mean, they didn't know what to call them. But there came a no small stir about that. It, this, the Apostle Paul shook that region up as God worked through him and changed people's lives. These, the lives of these people that left the evil and turned to Jesus had their lives changed. And, and that way was known. But it stirred people up. And we'll see that there were some that weren't happy about it. For, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain under the craftsmen. Evidently, this man, Demetrius, was a leader of a group of craftsmen, or he had a business, and he had a lot of work, workers working with him. And he brought them together and other, uh, he says, verse 25 goes on, it says, whom he called together with, with the workmen of like occupation and said, sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. We're getting rich off of this business we've got here. And he says, moreover, you see, and here, that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. That's an interesting thing. You know, this isn't the first time this has been said. I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read something out of Isaiah chapter 44, verse 9. And they that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witness. They see not, nor that they may be ashamed, or, or know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a god, or molten a graven image, that is, that is profitable for nothing, 
Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. An idol doesn't profit you. Anything. I mean, even the people that make it know that it's just a piece of wood or, or metal or sculpture. They did it with their hands. But that doesn't profit them anything, and they're all going to be ashamed. <clears throat> Verse 18 in that same chapter goes on. He says, They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considered in his heart. He says they, they weren't deeply concerned that... Neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted food, or I have eaten roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? They haven't got the common sense, the the understanding that keeps them from doing this abomination. It doesn't, they don't see that there's anything wrong with it. And even back in Isaiah's day, they knew about idol worship and and what it profited and what it didn't. So back in Acts again now, verse 27 so that not only this, our craft is in danger. This is Demetrius speaking still. He says, not only is our craft in danger to be set at naught or, or dis- discounted and, and shown to be what it is, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Well, that was their that was their perspective. They sold a lot of those idols and those shrines. And and they made lots of money doing it. But the people that he was talking to, it says, And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath. And they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Uh, this, this Diana is has another name. It's also called Artemis, which is the Greek for the same thing. And and this city of Ephesus was a center of the worship of this idol. And they said it, it fell, the idol fell down from Jupiter or something like that. You know, this is their story. And they believed it. They didn't have the good sense to know that this was not from God. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. So they took these two men that had been traveling with Paul. They were Macedonian people, but they moved into this theater. And this this theater was the one that was the court. Uh, it was the 
courtroom, basically. And when Paul would have entered into the entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not. They said, "No, no, 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 Paul, we don't want you to even get in there. They'll they'll stone you again. <laughs> Only this time they might kill you. No, we don't want you to go in there." The disciples would not allow Paul to go in. We're reading in Acts chapter 19. So, And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not venture himself into the theater. Uh, evidently, there were important people there in Asia that sent word to Paul and said, don't go in there. Under any circumstances. I mean, he had friends. There were people that did believe. And they said, we don't want you to go in there. Some therefore cried the one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. So they had a big group of people there. And they were all excited, but they weren't sure exactly why. They were come together. And this was a mob. No question about it. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. Well, when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. This same rant went on for hours. They, the people were saying this, and it was just stirring them, stirring them up even further. And, and when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is the worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. He said, we all know this. You're out there yelling and making a ruckus. We, we know all about this. But he was the town clerk. Or he, was the, uh, he was in charge here. And he got their attention. He said, now calm down. Settle yourselves. We, we need to do this properly here. Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. He says, we, we all know about this. We, this, is, this is nothing new about this Diana worship stuff. And, and we all know what we believe here. And, and he was including himself in that. Whether he, you know, he wasn't necessarily a, a believer. He probably was one of them. But he says, all right, calm down. We don't want to do anything rashly because they were under the Roman government and they had to be careful of what they did. And this was an uprising. And they might be called into question here. For, for ye have brought thither these men which are neither robbers of churches. That's of, of now this, this word churches here is temples to Diana. Okay? They they didn't rob your your temples, these all of these uh places you worship. 
nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. They didn't do that either. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. So he says, if you've got a complaint about these people, bring it to court properly. There's, there's a court there. There are officials there to take care of this matter, to judge it. And you can accuse them in court, but do it right. Do it properly. Now, they, ha- they understood that this was a, there was a proper way to do things. He says, But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. That term lawful assembly is an interesting term. He says, You don't have authority to even gather together. You don't have that authority. This has to be done properly with the authority of the Roman government. That's what he was saying here. He says, for we are all in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar by the government, by the Roman government. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. He says, this tumult, this uh, mob violence that, that we're, you're doing. He said, we have to give answer to the Roman government for this. And when he had thus uh, spoken, he dismissed the assembly. That word assembly is an interesting word. It comes out of the Greek word out of, ek is out of, and klesia, or um, kaleo, is to call. So this was a called out assembly, called out by Demetrius. This mob was a called out by Demetrius. We are a called out assembly also. The church of God is called out of the world to serve God. It has to have his authority to assemble, to meet, to come together. That's what the church is. We are a called out body of baptized born again believers. And we need to realize that this ecclesia Andy, tell, tell them what the word for church is in Spanish. Iglesia. Iglesia. It comes right out of that Greek. It's the same word. It's a called out assembly. We need to realize that we have to have that authority of God. They had to have the authority of the Roman government because they, they were all riled up over nothing here. Well, it wasn't nothing. They were losing their their livelihood, yes. But they had to realize that there was a higher authority. We need to realize that too. And we are answerable to that higher authority for the way we conduct our lives, the way we do things. And this, and uh, in reading through this, I see that matter of authority that is passed from one church to another it's it's like 
these people that were uh, baptized to John's baptism, when they believed, they became Christians. But it wasn't until the Apostle Paul laid hands on them. They were baptized, and Paul laid hands on them, and then they spoke in tongues. And then they had the power of the Holy Spirit. This power is to be our motivating force. It is to be our uh, reason for living. (laughs) And this is something that many people don't understand. They don't understand that God is the one who gives us life and power. Paul spoke to there on on Mars Hill the same thing. He told them, this unknown God that you have a shrine to out here is the one I'm telling you about. But he's the one that gives us life and liberty and has created everything that you see. We owe a lot to him. We owe everything to him. Our lives, our, our livelihood, everything we have. This authority is a thing that many churches, uh, I call them churches, that just like these temples were called churches in here. But many people don't see the necessity for that authority in their lives. They don't want authority over themselves. They want to be the authority themselves. They can make a wooden statue and say, oh, we can fall down and worship this thing. Because it doesn't make any difference. That's our. We'll call that our God. We saw the, the Jews, when Moses didn't come down off the mountain, for a long time. They said, Aaron, make us a a golden calf, and we'll fall down and worship this. We need. This is craziness. But people don't see it in their lives. We have to see it. And we have to tell other people of the authority that God has over their lives and ours. We need to be aware of it more and more every day in our own lives. Give God the glory. Andy?
All right. Well, any any other comments? Certainly, this is a an important subject for Christians, for those who truly serve God with their lives. There is a kingdom; it's a spiritual kingdom, and we need to be led by that spirit, guided, guided, and directed, and let our lives be what God wants. He is the one who directs. Just like Andy said, her, her brain directs her hands to flutter or whatever, or to do what, what we call them to do. Usually, our bodies respond. You know, we, as we grow older, we find them not responding perhaps as well as we'd like. But we need to realize that God is the one who's to direct our hearts, to direct our lives the things that we do and the things that we don't do also, by the way. All right. Well, if that... I'll, I'll stop there and, and we'll have a short break and come back and... To First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Just a few short verses there, the first 11 verses of the chapter. Uh, we'll start there in verse 1. It says, Therefore, uh, and if you don't mind, I'm reading this morning out of New King James Version. I uh, grabbed the wrong Bible this morning. So, <laughs> um, so reading there in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also in, with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walk in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in regard to these... They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to, the, uh, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
As each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do so as the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this morning in our in our reading here, Brother Peter is writing to the brethren about arming themselves with the what with the mind of Christ. Doesn't express it in that many words. He says, "Arm yourselves also with this same mind." Why do you think that's important for us to to arm ourselves with this same mind? He suffered for us, didn't he? He offered himself as a sacrifice for a covering of our sins. Why should we do the same thing? Because that's what's commanded of us, to lay down our lives. He goes on there, he says, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So, making a commitment to serving the Lord, we should no longer live our lives as we did before committing to serving the Lord. We've had enough time, he says, He says, for we have spent enough uh, of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles while we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and abominable adulteries. He says, lay those things aside. Put on the mind of Christ. Arm yourselves. That we no longer live our life according to the flesh. This is what Christ died for because he desired to serve God. The perfect example of what the Lord requires of us in his service. He says, don't be surprised. He says, these Gentiles want you to go the same way they do. He says, but they don't understand this. They think it's strange, he says. He says, they speak evil of you. How many times have we heard that? Well, those goody two-shoes, they don't, they, they just want to look good before the rest of us, don't they? They just want to think they're better than us. That's okay. They can say those things. But don't hold it against them because they don't understand. Instead, use it as an opportunity for us to continue to show Christ in us. <clears throat> he goes on there. He says, They will give an account of him. It is, it is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, that they might be judged according to, the, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So keep living our lives like the Lord would have us to, right? We'll be judged accordingly. He says that we not be judged according as men in the flesh, but as according to God in the spirit. So he continues on there down through verse, verses 7 through 11 there. Says the same thing. He says, he's, he issues a warning there in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Did he mean it was going to end right then? No. But the end is coming towards us, right? He says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Why do you think it's important for us to be serious about serving the Lord? 
Because our time on earth is short. As the scripture commands us, we're to be making disciples and going out into this world in our daily walk and ministering to others and being an example to others so that they might see Christ in us. Being serious. Be on, on watch. This is watchful in your prayers. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Bear with me, I think I wrote it down wrong, but that's okay. <clears throat> Maybe I did. Actually, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Apologize, you all. It's not uncommon to write something down wrong. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26. Verse 26 says, And he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by his uh, sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear at a second time apart from sin for salvation. So again, talks about us putting on and arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ there? He said he was appointed once to die for all men, right? But after this judgment, when he returns, it's not for sin, but it's for, it's, it's what? For salvation. So what are we to do in our walk with the Lord? We set aside, set aside ourselves for his service, right? says, what, is it, what does the scripture say about laying down your life for your brother? There's no greater thing, right? Because that's following after the example that Christ had for us. So, giving up of ourselves for one another. So that we might honor and glorify Christ. That's what he commands of us, to put our lives down to serve him. Why? Living our lives acceptably because why? Why would we, since there he, he then that would have suffered often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the age he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So that we wouldn't, he wouldn't have to suffer continually over and over again. But that through that sacrifice of himself, we have that opportunity and others like us. This is why we are to take our calling serious and our service to God seriously and be watchful in prayer. Just as the example of Israel over there, 
in their own, to their own dismay, not recognizing Christ, what happened there? It wasn't that they were utterly without a hope after that, but they needed to see that Christ was the Messiah. And because they didn't recognize Christ as the Messiah there, what happened? Moved on to the Gentiles, didn't he? He made way for the Gentiles as well. What was the desire of, of God? Was that his chosen people would see that. But yet, they weren't utterly cut off. We see that in the accounts there we read in the Acts. We see this in the account that we read here in all of the epistles. That they weren't utterly cut off. There were those that did believe. But maybe that through the example of those that did believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that they might still have an opportunity to partake of this covenant. But Jesus still ministered to them. He still talked to them. He still dealt with them. Why? Because he wanted to show them that he was the Son of God, that he was the only true and living way for them to have life and have it more abundantly. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. That was the opportunity there laying down his life. Love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? That's why Christ died for us. Looking there at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. It says there, He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not to corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which was preached by the gospel, was preached to you. So again, what's the admonition here? Jesus was foreordained to do this before the beginning of time, wasn't it? He says, But was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So if Jesus set this example up for, for us, if this was the example that how we are to fashion our lives according to Christ... This is our chief example. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Isn't that part of that knowing them by their fruits? Like we talked about just a little bit this morning. You're going to bear the fruit there. And chief among them is what? Love. 
You'll know them by their fruits. That's the commandment there. He says, since you have purified your hearts and obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with, pure, with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Why? Why is this important for us to remember? Because he says there, all flesh is like grass. It passes away. This is a temporary part this life is that we live currently. So we've made a commitment to serve the Lord. So we hopefully we're there. The world around us is seeing Christ in us. It's manifested through what? Through fruits of the spirit, which love is mentioned among them. So just as Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to do the same thing. The scripture commands out of us to lay down our lives to serve him. And that includes all of us, right? Ministering to one another as we have the need. Helping one another. Counseling one another. Comforting one another when we have those difficulties. Let's look at Proverbs 10. It says, part of where that quote comes there in 1 Peter chapter 4. Proverbs 10 and verse 12. He said, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So, hate manifests something entirely different, doesn't it? Well, hate's mentioned among the fruits of the flesh. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to pray to the Lord to, to put the flesh in check, don't we? Absolutely, we have to. But as we submit to him, he provides the knowledge and wisdom on how we can put those things in check, doesn't he? I'm thankful for that. <laughs> so, sometimes we need to spiritually check ourselves as it reconcile with the life of Christ. I mentioned that and I'm probably a broken record when it comes to that, but are we putting on, are we arming ourselves with the mind of Christ? James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Verses 19 and 20. He says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I think that love is implied there in that verse of scripture. Wow. Because if we didn't love him, would we, would we be willing to do something like that? Absolutely not. So, what's the... What's the encouragement there? We love one another as Christ loved us. We would do the same thing here, wouldn't we? Seek to save them from the peril that they're in. It's 
says not there. He says, save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. First Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 4 is where we'll start. Really don't have to read this to you. Most of us know these these this passage of scripture, but it's still written for our encouragement, so I'm going to read it anyways. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. It says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely and does not seek its own. Is not provoked and thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there is prophecies, they will fail. Whether there is tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, and then that which is part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. Of these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul here was talking about what? He was talking about love. Everything he talked about in this particular passage, he was trying to explain to the church at Corinth that they needed, can be found in Christ. A couple of chapters before that, he was telling him, he says, I can't move on to the meat of the word because you need, you're still on the milk of the word. You need to have this understanding. He says, and the only way we can give you this understanding is for you to overcome the things that you're struggling with. As we've been covering in, in Corinthians these last few months, the church at Corinth had problems. They had divisions. They had envy. They had strife. They had problems with sexual immorality that were mentioned there in a couple chapters previous to this. So why do you think he was trying to tell them about the importance of love? Because they needed to have that love for one another just as Christ loved them. Right, and this was... These things that he was listing off here were the attributes that Christ held. It says, suffers long and is kind. God's long suffering for us is because of his love for us. But we ought not to take advantage of that. <laughs> but rather use it for his good and his purpose. Because when miswilling these things, we trample the blood of Christ, which covers our sins, which he done so lovingly, covering our sins. So he goes on there. He talks about how love behaves, what it does. Thinks no evil. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Endures all things. Hopes all things. Love never fails. We're not talking about the love that humankind talks about. We're talking about the love of God. In the flesh, our love fails all the time, doesn't it? I use Donna, Donna and I as an example. Not that it's 
that I'm the just the greatest example there is, but my love is not perfect in the flesh. I fail my wife from time to time, more frequently than I'd like to admit. But hopefully the grace in that love is that between Donna and I, we recognize when we fail each other. And we look to the Lord to strengthen us and guide us and protect us. And to show us what it is that true love really is in Christ. So that we can overlook those shortcomings and encourage one another in our walk. Same thing with us coming together. Sometimes we fail. Fail one another and we fail the Lord sometimes. But thankfully we have that grace and mercy that we can look to. And repentance that he offers us. So when we recognize those shortcomings, we look to him and his loving kindness and we ask for forgiveness of those things. And not that we continue to carry them out, but we seek to change those things that we might be more readily armed with the mind of Christ. Paul goes on there and he talks about when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. He matured. He listened. He learned. And he looked to the chief example there of whom was Christ. I think in all, Paul was referencing there as he grew up too, but also when he was changed on the road to Damascus and he realized that he was doing the wrong thing. He says, I'm glad that in part... He says, for now I see in the mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So he put those things away and he looked to the Lord to show him what it is that he needed to do. He says, I will know as I am known. Hopefully we're known in Christ. But Christ is in us. And then he goes on there in the last verse and says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. Of these three, the greatest is love. And as we grow and mature in Christ, as we look to the Lord, those fruits will mature and manifest more and more, I pray. So Christ in us, Paul speaking to the brethren here at Corinth, this love is the proof that Christ is in us. Jesus personified this. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and then we'll come to a close. Philippians chapter 2. start there in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and being obedient to the point of death, even as death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at name of the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the glory of God the Father. He goes on there, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And I'll stop there. So he goes back over and reading these verses. When we see there, he says, If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love and fellowship, any affection or mercy. Fulfill my joy, being like-minded one to another. He goes on there, verse 5, he says, Let the mind in you uh, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Same thing we're talking about over in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, why? Who humbled himself. He didn't think himself to be something so great and wonderful. But he humbled himself to the point where he was likened to a man. And he was obedient even to the point of death. Why do you think it was important for him to do that? To be the archetype, the example for us. To show man that there's nothing we can accomplish of our own in this flesh but through Christ. Whom God sent for us. But he goes on there. Christ demonstrated a lot of things that we, we as and and in the flesh try to, try to. I don't know. I guess make, make something smaller of it. I can't think of the word right now. But he spent his entire time in this flesh life, doing what, seeking the will of the Father, didn't he? Seeking to please the Father. Not placing himself on a pedestal for all men to see. So I think it's kind of important that we recognize that we shouldn't place ourselves on a pedestal above all men. Because we're not anything special or great. But the Lord, like we talked about last week, provisionally gave us, what? Access to him through Christ. So... We can't be anything more than what Christ needs us to be, right? We shouldn't be. We shouldn't think of ourselves as something gifted to man, but we're servants. And we can't show Christ in us if we're lifted up in, in pride. But it is our duty to submit to the will of God. He tells them there, Therefore, my beloved, in verse 12, as you always have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters, we're at the mercy of our Lord. And we have made a commitment to be a servant of Him.
So we ought to follow after the example of Christ that those bef- that see us on a daily basis or come into contact with us by happenstance that they see Christ in us. That they see us demonstrate that to all men, especially of the brotherhood. Because he says there, he says, For it is of God who works in, in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We serve at the pleasure of the one and only living God. We don't have a right to disgrace the name of our God, but rather to take on the mind of Christ in our service to him. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be counted as a fraud. <laughs> you know, when, when you when you pay for something, a lot of times the clerk will take a pen and mark it to see if it's counterfeit because it looks like it and it feels like it, but something in it is not present to show that it's an actual bill, right? Because it'll mark and it'll change the bill of color. Done this for many years working in customer service. There are a lot of things that look and sound like, but they're not actually, they actually aren't. So may we submit to Christ and may we be found in him and may others see Christ in us that they might have an opportunity to, to rejoice in the hope that we have as well. But how we do this is we submit to the Lord. We can't do any of this on, on our own accord, but as we submit to the Lord, He's the one that works for us. We need to trust in him and place our life in his hands and pattern our life and after the example that Christ lived before us. I hope this has been an encouragement for you all. Um, there's more that we didn't get to cover in this. Hopefully we'll get to cover that next week. So... You all will stand to be dismissed.